I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm also so pleased to present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips. And today we have a special guest, Lieutenant Thomas Slayton, who is the Bureau Commander for the Orange County Sheriff's Department's Emergency Communications Bureau. And he's been with the department for 24 years. Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Please explain what is the Emergency Communications Bureau? The Emergency Communications Bureau is the Orange County Sheriff's Department's 24-7 dispatch center. It consists not only of dispatch, but also of the Control One component of the countywide coordinated communication system. Now, I know that you're involved with the Amber Alerts. Why don't you tell us about the Amber Alerts? Uh, The Amber Alert program is a voluntary partnership between law enforcement agencies, broadcasters, transportation agencies, and the wireless industry. Uh, Its purpose is to activate an urgent bulletin in the most serious child abduction cases. The goal of an Amber Alert is to instantly galvanize the entire community to assist in the search for and the safe recovery of a child. I know you guys have done such great work. Why don't you give us the Amber Alert website so we can learn more? Um, AmberAlert.gov, all one word. AmberAlert.gov. Thank you so much, Tom. We'll have you to talk some more about all the great work you're doing. Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Our show today is about liability for security breaches and what you can do about it. And we're really worried about small businesses because small businesses are just as vulnerable as large businesses, and small businesses make up 90% of all business in our country. So if you're driving by and you have a small business or you work for a small business or even a large business, you need to think about some of the things that we're going to talk about. And I'm so thrilled today because we're going to have a friend of mine who I met Oh, probably five, six years ago, Mark Camillo. I met him in New York City, and he is very knowledgeable about identity theft and security breaches and how to protect yourself. And let me tell you a little bit about him. Mark Camillo is vice president in the executive liability, professional liability division of Chartis Insurance. And he's responsible for the technology and security and privacy suite of products. Prior to that role, Mark was responsible for the personal identity theft insurance and payment fraud products, and that's when I got to know him because, of course, we were trying to deal with how we can protect individuals from identity theft. Mark joined Chartis in 2001, and he's held positions of increasing management responsibility in various parts of the organization, including the e-business risk solutions, so he's very used to business risks the Affinity Group A&H, Professional Liability, and the Fidelity Team. Prior to working for Chartist Insurance, Mark worked in sales, marketing, and product development for Dun & Bradstreet and Zytel Corporation. And he has an MBA from SUNY, which is uh, up in Buffalo, New York, and a BS from the University of Wyoming. And he is one of several people lately that I've met from Wyoming. So we... uh, 
We know that Chartist, to just let you know a little bit about where he works, Chartist is a leading property casualty and general insurance organization serving more than 40 million clients in over 160 countries and jurisdictions. And they have a 90-year history of providing extensive products and services dealing with insurance. And they enable uh, a commercial and personal insurance clients to manage risks with confidence. Chartis is the marketing name for the worldwide property casualty and general insurance operations of Chartis Incorporation. And you can learn more at ChartisInsurance.com. And also you can see if you look under Mark's name, Mark Camillo, and the um, his products with security breaches, executive liability, professional liability. You can also see two of his recent articles, which are great. One is called Data Security Standards Compliance, and the other one is called Security Issues Beyond IT and Into the Boardroom. So those are big issues with all the compliance, with all the laws and all that stuff. So let me have us get started. Mark, thank you for joining us from New York. No, oh, thank you for having me. This is great, Mari. It's fun. You are wonderful, and it's it's so fun. We've been talking about doing a show together for such a long time. We finally are doing it. I know. I know. <laughs> okay, so let's first talk about what are the security and privacy exposures that any business would have. Well, security privacy is is constantly evolving, and something that you know businesses really have to keep their eye on to keep up with the exposure. And, you know, looking back, when, when Chartist was one of the first insurers to introduce, you know, network security coverage over 10 years ago, uh, statistics on ID theft weren't even being tracked. It really wasn't until 2002, you know, 2003, that the increase in complaints really prompted the FTC and others to keep tabs on the crime. And your good friend, you know, privacyrights.org and, and Beth Gibbons. And, you know, since that time, the numbers keep increasing every year with, I think, 11 million adults becoming victims of ID fraud in, in 2009. And, you know, having one's identity, as you know, you know, compromised, it's a very difficult situation to go through in terms of the you know, time, energy required to clear your name. But, you know, on the business side, it can be just as bad of a nightmare when you look at all the different threats, cyber criminals, uh, malicious software, uh, even just human hair that can significantly impact a business. And it's, it's very expensive. I know you and I know Larry Poneman, and uh, he has an annual study on the cost to businesses. And you know, his latest report estimates that you know, the average you know, cost to be about $204, with the average incident uh, costing close to $7 million. So even a small breach can cost thousands of dollars for a, for a, for a small company. Yeah, and let's clarify that, $204 per person. A that's right. Yeah, that's for right. breach. So that, yeah, that would, I just want to clarify that because it gets tough. Now, that's right. So, so let's talk, you know, for large businesses, maybe they, you know, they have that insurance, they don't even think about it. But let's talk about the midsize and the small businesses, because here we are in Irvine, California, we have a lot of large businesses, but we have a ton of small and medium sized businesses. Mm-hmm. So how do these potential liabilities and exposures differ for small businesses? Well, you know, following a breach, the costs are going to escalate quickly, whether you're a large or small business, as the first thing you're going to need to do is get legal assistance to determine, you know, what your response should be, and you're typically also going to involve a forensics firm to determine the extent and the cause of the breach and to make sure that, you know, any holes are plugged. Because if you don't spend the money up front and have a proper response, it's really going to come back and and haunt you later on. Now, typically, you know, the plaintiff's attorneys are looking at the large breaches you know, by the large companies, but, you know, if the breach is high-profile enough, you'll likely end up embroiled in, in costly litigation. And plus, you know, the perception is that larger companies have better security controls in place, so it can sometimes be easier for hackers to penetrate a smaller organization. You know, a smaller company may be using uh, vendor default settings and passwords or have a poorly coded website that can be exploited. So regardless, you know, if the breach is from a large or small company, the information obtained can be monetized by the criminals, which is, you know, a problem for all businesses. And, you know, Mark, like you were saying, you know, small businesses, they're not going to have in-house counsel to, to advise them. They're probably not going to have a, you know, a chief security officer and, and an IT person on staff. Maybe they have, they outsource that. 
So they are going to be in real problem not to know any of this. And, you know, when you talk about maybe these uh, plaintiff attorneys are going to go after these big firms, well, unfortunately, they also go after the little firms. I've been an expert witnesses and I've been an expert witness on many privacy cases in which maybe it was a, a restaurant, you know, that, that ended up having to file bankruptcy or small businesses having to file bankruptcy because they just can't afford the litigation. So it's, it's tough. So, so Mark, tell us, where are the fr- threats really coming from? Mm-hmm. Well, there are, are numerous tactics that you know, the criminals use to get this information, you know, hacking, uh, stealing computers, uh, paying an insider for the information, malicious software. It's really an extensive list. Uh, and a large number of breaches are still caused by you know, lost or stolen equipment. And, you know, you may have seen, um, you know, the CBS special on, on copier machines. Right. Where, you know, where the copier machine has a hard drive. So a lot of individuals didn't realize this, and they were, you know, copying employee files, uh, driver's license, social security numbers. And, you know, they were able to buy these uh, copiers in the salvage market, and they were able to obtain all this personal information. Yeah. But, yeah, so it's very, very scary. So things that, you know, what you plug one hole and another you know, opens up. And you know, usually what we see, it, it, the breach is caused by a combination of factors. They have a rogue employee, uh, they hack into a database for the personal information, and then they, they sell that to organized crime. And you know, the claims that, that we've seen, um, you know, we've definitely seen an increase in outsourcer-related breaches and the, uh, the rogue employee incidents, which you know, tends to make sense because as in a recession, you tend to see more internal acts you know, as employees look for additional ways to make money or laid-off employees look to strike back at their employer. And, uh, you know, as more companies outsource things, which a lot of small businesses do, like, you know, data processing, you know, they're more prone to these partner vendor risks. And as more companies move towards, you know, cloud computing for cost savings, you know, we see this as a growing exposure. Right. And I think cloud computing is, is really scary because your, your stuff is out there on the cloud and you don't even know how it's protected necessarily. So you have to look into that issue about who's protecting that and, and how secure is that data on the cloud and, and who has access to it. You know, I get calls all the time from people who find out that there's been some kind of a security breach. And sometimes it's just, you know, you talked about the dirty insider or the unscrupulous employee or the one who, you know, has, he's resentful, so he'll sell information. I even had a, uh, an, an identity thief who you would love this, Mark. He would, he would actually give $10,000 to top managers in big, comp- big financial industry companies to get the data that he wanted. And it was worth it to these managers, especially if they weren't happy and they weren't making a lot of money. So you're right, with the economy the way it is, it looks really tempting. So that, but also we have negligent employees who do things that are just silly, like leaving a a laptop that's unencrypted in the back of their car and then their car gets broken into. That's happened many times. So there's, the threats can be malicious or they could be unintentional. And they always say that the human factor is the weakest link. You find that too, Mark? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the most difficult to, to prevent against. And even if you have, you know, using all the, the latest and greatest security controls, uh, if, if somebody you know, has the right incentives, I mean, they can find a way into the system. Yes. We are speaking with a wonderful friend of mine who I just honor. He's terrific. His name is Mark Camillo. He's the vice president in the executive liability, professional liability division of Chartist Insurance. He's responsible for technology and security privacy suite of their products, and he has become very, very much an expert in this area himself. And you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, your host of Privacy Piracy. So let's get back to we've been talking about the, the insider threats, the outside threats of all these horrible things that can happen to us. You know, Mark, in, in California, I know you're familiar with our security breach legislation that has was the very first law to make a security breach um, that you had to give notification. And a, a lot of people don't realize this, and I'm just going to bring it up now, that when our law passed, and I sit on the uh, Office of Privacy Protection Advisory Board, when we give out advice about security breaches, People don't realize that our law says that if you are a business and you find out, a business or a governmental agency, and you could be a a one-person business, if you find out that sensitive information was acquired 
by an unauthorized person and it was not encrypted, then you have a duty to notify all affected people. So our our stick was, you know, the, the carrot and the stick. The carrot was if you encrypt that information and the idea is that if you encrypt it and and the bad guy wasn't the guy who had the key to it, <laughs> but if you encrypted it that you didn't have to notify. But that that's a real problem and so you know that threat is there that that's hanging over everybody's head in California but it a lot of the security breach legislation is nationwide now when we're talking about the type of information that's targeted it has to be pretty much sensitive information you want to talk to that i mean i mean criminals are really targeting all types of information from you know, all industries is a you know the typical organization is going to have at least you know one type of targeted data at risk, and you know that would include you know the personal identifiable information on your customers or employees, and what they really want is the social security numbers to open up you know, new accounts. Right? They're also looking for you know financial information, uh, most common being you know credit card data, especially among retailers, and the same goes for you know bank account numbers with PIN information, which they can use to create. Uh, debit cards for withdrawals. Yes. You know, they're also, you know, very fond of, you know, the healthcare information and, you know, not just you know, limited to the medical records, but, you know, stealing and selling, you know, health insurance information for, you know, monetary benefits can be uh, can be very lucrative. Yes, medical identity theft is is huge now. It, so that's that's very important to mention that because a lot of companies are self-insured and they have all that medical data in their files, you know? No, they, they they do, and and I think I saw that uh, uh, you know the the average cost to you know recover from a medical identity theft was around twenty thousand dollars. So it can be much more expensive than dealing with you know a case of you know financial identity theft. And you know along with the personal, I think something that's often overlooked is you know a company's you know corporate uh, confidential information or their own you know trade secrets, because those can also be you know a boon for criminals. They can either steal to sell that to another company, or they can steal it to extort the business. Yes. And you know what? I just had a case recently where I found out, and this was a very bizarre privacy case, but um, one of the employees was providing sensitive data to the, to the competitor so that he could get a job at the competitor's office. So, you know, that's, that's also, like you said, the trade secrets, the formulas, um, the patent pending, all that stuff. So you're talking about anything that's confidential and, and sensitive data. But I wanted to go back and, and remind people when we were talking about the California security breach legislation, it's interesting because it was, um, we talk about the data as being computerized information, but it doesn't mean it has to be electronic. It means that the the information that's stolen could actually be on paper if it once was computerized and it's stolen so let's say you have um, a briefcase full of sensitive data let's say you're um, an escrow agency and you have compute you have data in a in your lap not in your laptop but in your laptop holder or something and it's in paper and it's computerized you have a duty to disclose that too so I don't know how many states have that, but it, it basically says if it was once on the computer, that's considered computerized information and you have that duty to disclose. So let's talk about what are some of the laws and regulations businesses really should consider since we started talking about laws. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the regulatory and legislative bodies, you know, they have reacted by increasing their focus on security and privacy controls. And as, and as you said, it, you know, it really started with you know state notification laws originating in California, you know, requiring those businesses to you know, notify law enforcement and consumers you know when personal information is compromised. But it's now spreading to more preventative measures, such as you know the Massachusetts standard, where you know companies now need to make sure that their information security is up to par with industry best practices. And it'll be interesting to see how you know other states react or, or follow suit. And then, you know, depending upon the type of data you collect, there are you know, industry-specific regulations that a business needs to be aware of. So if you hold protected health information, you need to be familiar with HITECH and, and the HIPAA Act. And if you're processing, you know, credit card transactions, you need to be aware of, you know, the payment card industry, data security standards, 
you know, created by the card associations, you know, to really to reduce the amount of credit card fraud. Right. And you know, and if you're not getting paid at the time you're delivering your goods and services, you're likely going to be deemed a creditor under the FTC's red flag rules, and that's going to require you to have protocols in place to prevent ID theft. So it's really important to look at the industry specific, you know, regulations. And, you know, not to, to complicate things, but, you know, there are a lot of federal initiatives in the works that would make, you know, notification a federal requirement. And then you also have, you know, the Cybersecurity Act, which there's a number of sticks and carrots to get companies to enhance their security. Right. So, you know, at the end of the day, you really have to, you know, stay on top of this or you know, it can really be a, a regulatory minefield that, you know, can erupt in, in fines and penalties if you're not paying close attention. Exactly, exactly. For those of you who don't know what some of these names are, like High Tech Act, that's the Health Insurance Health Information Technology for Economic and Clinical Health Act, and that's really in place, really, because we're going to be having all these electronic uh, medical records, right? Yes, Is- yes, and it was it was packaged in with last year's stimulus bill, and it basically expanded it, you know, to, to companies that were that were you know just dealing with hospitals in terms of like business associates. So if you're handling the information if you're an accountant or if you're doing a data processing for hospitals, you now sort of fell under that. You need to make sure that you're complying with those regulations. Right, because I think it's pretty scary to think about all these electronic medical records. On one hand, it's great. You know, I recently had a fall and I um, had to go to the hospital and get some x-rays, but I was able to get that electronically to bring to my private doctor just, you know, on a CD. So that part was great. But then the other part is who else gets to see it? Does it get lost? Who has access to it? You know, and then the other the other acronym that um, you heard Mark talk about was HIPAA, and that stands for the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, and that also deals with disclosures and you know kind of your privacy. It's really a disclosure act, like who we're going to disclose information to, and giving you some limits on who can access the information. Right, Mark? Yes. Right. Okay. So, um, so there's a lot of minefields out there, aren't there? Ugh. No, there there are, and and I think you know you know they definitely you know they extend to you know the small businesses, and they really need to be concerned with with compliance. You know that's the that's the thing that's really sad. You know, I've been an expert recently on a case where it was a very it wasn't a huge um, business, but it wasn't a very very tiny business. But because they didn't have in-house counsel, they were totally unaware of the laws. And the compliance issue is how, you know, it's hard enough to keep up with your own business and make sure that everything is safe and sound and all the, you know, HR issues are taken care of with your employees. But then to know all these privacy laws, it's crazy. So um, why should, you know, we know why they should be concerned, but how concerned should the small businesses be? We know some regulations are you know universal. There are only you know four states that do not have breach notification laws. So businesses, you know, even small businesses that have a breach, need to notify you know each affected individual as soon as you know, practically possible. And typically, you know, a letter of apology is not usually enough, as you know state attorney generals have been active in pushing affected companies to provide remediation services. So credit monitoring, assistance services, you know, victim reimbursement is part of the notifications that are sent. And in some states, you know, they're very aggressive. You know, Massachusetts passed the most sweeping of the state mandates to date, requiring you know, basically any business that's handling uh, personal information on their residents to proactively develop you know, a program to protect this information. So it affects you not only your businesses located in Massachusetts, but if you have a website, you're doing direct marketing there, you're going to need to have a you know written information security plan, uh, you know training for employees, and you know network security, you know, including you know encryption, uh, firewalls, patch management. Or you're going to be subject you know to those fines and penalties. Exactly, it's like California law. If if, if you're dealing with uh, California businesses, you you know you're going to have the same problem. That our laws, you have to follow our laws if you're going to do business with us. And the same thing, if you're going to have California residents buy your products, then you have to follow California law. And if you're going to have Massachusetts people um, buying products out here, we have to follow their laws. So it it is very challenging for people. You know, I also, when you were talking before about um, identity theft a little bit, um, that a lot of people don't realize is that in California, for example, if you're a business and you experience business identity theft, in other words, somebody puts a website out there that looks like you and they start collecting money and then, of course, they get sued, you can get 
business uh, a business um, police report, which will help you to remedy the situation as well. Or if someone is sending out emails pretending to be your business, and this could be a very small business, but, or doing anything that would take your identity and take money from other people or hurt other people, that is business identity theft. So let's talk a little bit about your security and privacy insurance and what does it cover? Does it, it, it cover security breaches? Does it cover business identity theft? Help us understand what kind of insurance people can get with small businesses. Well, the insurance goes by many names, you know, cyber insurance, network security, uh, security and privacy coverage. Uh, it, typically, it's marketed on a menu approach, so you can pick and choose the coverage you need. Um, typically, it's going to be based around uh, a security and privacy liability part. And that's going to pick up, you know, the defense cost and damages for, you know, a computer attack, you know, against the insured that, that causes harm to a third party, or a wrongful disclosure or breach of that private or confidential data. It's also going to include an event management section, and that's really the funds to handle the notification and the other related costs, like, you know, the forensic investigation, you know, legal assistance to determine you know, the appropriate response, you know, public relations firm to restore, you know, the insured's reputation, uh, notification costs, uh, credit monitoring, consumer ID protection, uh, call center services, th- those are all part of the event management. And then there are several other, other coverages that can be added, uh, such as you know, network interruption, which will address you know, the, la- the loss of revenue uh, stemming from a security event, and also a cyber extortion, which is akin to a you know, hostage situation. However, you know, in this case, the hostage is a network or the information. And, and also information asset coverage, which will cover the cost to restore or recreate the electronic data. So if your database is destroyed and you need funds to, to recreate it, uh, the insurance uh, provides reimbursement for that. Right. So even if you, I mean, that's another good reason to make sure you back up several different places so you don't lose this kind of stuff. Now, um, what about, what, what should policyholders or potential policyholders be looking for in their security and privacy package? Well, the coverage. privacy and security liability insurance should you know, expressly address both the first party and the third party costs associated with the, with the breach incident. Um, and you should not only be looking at the, the policy, but you, know, you also want to make sure it's underwritten by a carrier with experience in the line and also you know, in-house IT specialist who can you know, speak the language of your company's own data security team or your security outsourcer. Um, you know, other you know, important facets to look for in coverage would include you know, a broad definition of covered information, including you know, not only the personal and private information of an individuals, but also that confidential corporate data that we discussed. Right. Uh, you know, coverage for you know, the legal liability, uh, the damages and defense costs, as well as you know, the regulatory actions and, and fines and penalties as permissible by law. And you're also going to want to make sure that it includes the coverage for you know, the myriad costs a company is going to incur just to manage the incident, including you know, the expenses for the forensic investigation, uh, the legal assistance, complying with the state notification requirements, uh, providing that credit monitoring and identity restoration services for victims, and, and hiring the public relations expert to you know, manage the adverse media attention or you know, that the, the, the incident uh, you know, will attract. And, you know, it's also important to ask about coverage to notify victims, you know, in those few states that don't currently have, you know, breach notification laws. So while not required, you know, the gesture can create goodwill and, and really keep incidents from, from escalating. Right. And maybe avoid a lawsuit as well. Right. You were talking a few minutes ago about first party and third party by a, a liability. Why don't you explain to my audience what do you mean by that and what is the difference for them? Sure. Well, I think the easiest way is to look at a, at a car insurance example. So if you have you know, first-party coverage on your car, uh, that's going to cover you if you're driving and you, you, know, you crash into a tree, and it's going, to, it's going to cover the cost to repair or replace your own vehicle. So it's covering you as the owner, your own losses. That's, that's first-party coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at third-party, that's really your liability coverage. So if you're driving your vehicle and you crash into another car, uh, that's the part of the policy that's going to respond and pick up your defense costs and defending any suits that arise and also paying to repair and then the cost of damages for that third party's car that you, that you hit. So, Mark, in, in your kind of um, repertoire of all the different choices you can make, you can pick and choose what you want, is there something for business identity theft so that if somebody 
does become a victim of business identity theft and there are losses to third parties, is that something that people can sign up for as well? So that, you know, if somebody is hurt because someone has stolen my identity and it has given legal, bad legal services and then I get sued, I mean, is that going to help me too? Because that's, that's, uh, that's a challenge. Yeah, when you start going into that sort of coverage, that's really going back into the, into the realm of the personal identity theft coverage. And that's, that's covering the costs and the expenses to recover uh, one's identity. And that's also a, a product that we've looked at and um, we, we don't currently offer, uh, but it's something that we are considering in terms of covering the cost to you know, restore uh, you know, sort of a business's credit or a business's identity. Right, right, because the reputation could be ruined too. So that's one thing I have to, if you start talking about that, I'll give you some ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark, tell me, um, is the demand for security and privacy insurance coming from certain industries more than others or certain size companies more than others? You know, I think you know, almost all organizations have some personal information and digital assets to protect. And I think initially you know, demand came from the organizations that have the most confidential information, so you know, payment processors, financial institutions, in the healthcare industry, uh, in the retail industry for accepting credit cards, if you're in IT telecom or you know, basically any company that does data storage for a third party, uh, the hospitality, sort of leisure segment, as well as uh, education. But I think with the, you know, the, the, the sophistication of the criminals and the realization that you know, data is an asset that you know, can quickly become a liability, combined with the spread of the regulations, we're starting to see interest across the board for both large and small organizations. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about all the security breaches. If you look at the chronology of security breaches, by the way, if, if you're listening to this, you can go to privacyrights.org and look at and put into the search engine's chronology of security breaches. You're going to see a lot of medical facilities have security breaches and a lot of universities have security breaches. And yes, and, and of course, the payment card industry had a lot of security breaches, but they seem to be getting a little bit better. The banks are, they've had regulation for a long, long time, but I think we're seeing retailers as well um, finding that they are getting security breaches as well because they're collecting a lot more information. So are, are you seeing that as well? Yeah, they're, they're collecting the credit card information. And I think that for small businesses, that's a real exposure they need to be aware of um, because on the you know, with the PCI uh, fines and penalties, what's typically going to happen is Visa or MasterCard will start noticing that there's an increase or an uptake in fraudulent activity, and they'll be able to go back and pinpoint it and say, well, the one thing that these, all these cards had in common was they shopped at your small business. So the first thing that they're going to require is that that small business undergo a forensic investigation to determine, you know, the cause of the breach and to make sure that the breach is plugged. And so that initially could cost anywhere from ten to $15,000 just for the forensic investigation. Wow. And then they're going to take a look at all the credit cards. And, and so they may say, well, you had 1,000 cards compromised. And typically, our, our normal fraud rate uh, is $10,000. But with all these cards that were compromised, you know, the, the spike went to 50000 So we're going to hold you liable for that $40,000 difference. Mm-hmm. So you know, that can be very expensive for a business to, to bear it can cause some to, you know, to uh, lose their, you know, the ability to accept or process credit card payments, or if they don't have the ability to pay back, you know, it drives them out of business. Exactly. So a lot of people might say to you, well, Mark, you know, I have business insurance, so isn't it covered under my regular traditional business insurance? Well, the short answer is, is no. And, you know, the challenge for, you know, insurance brokers is educating their clients as to where the gaps exist. But you know, traditional property and casualty policies were not designed with the security and privacy world in mind, and really designed to cover you know property, plant, and equipment, your, your physical assets. And most companies are going to have a commercial general liability policy or CGL policy, and that's usually limited to tangible damage. However, you know, data is considered intangible, and the courts have been pretty consistent with this interpretation. So a standard CGL policy is not going to contemplate uh, security and privacy perils and would typically have exclusions uh, for any type of data loss. Now, the, the property policies you know, face the same issue. Uh, in the event of a stolen laptop, uh, the laptop itself may be covered, but the electronic data on the computer that's subsequently accessed or damaged, um, traditional property policies may not respond because, again, data is an intangible asset. 
And businesses, you know, they might also seek coverage under a fidelity or a crime policy if the information is breached or stolen. But, but once again, uh, coverage may be lacking because the fidelity policies are designed to cover the loss of tangible money and securities, not the theft of data or damages um, you know, to the third party that could result from the breach. And, and we see this very often. I mean, believing you know, that an existing policy is going to provide you know, some type of benefit um, you know, rising from a security privacy event, it's a common mistake. So it's, it's really important you know, now to, to look at the coverage you're carrying uh, with your insurance broker to see what's excluded, what's covered under your policies to make sure you're comfortable with the exposure. And I think a lot of people are really confused when they look at their business insurance. So it's so important that you get clarity, like you said, from your broker and, and read the policy and see what it says and ask questions. You know, am I covered if I get a, if I am experiencing a security breach? Am I covered if there's some um, some hacker that comes in? You know, or am I covered if I have a dirty employee that takes things or, or just a silly employee who does something that's negligent? Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to make sure you, you run through those scenarios with your broker and to make sure, like as you said, that you have the coverage that addresses that, that, that risk. We're speaking this morning with Mark Camillo, who is Vice President in the Executive Liability Professional Liability Division of Chartist Insurance. He's in New York City, and he is responsible for the technology and security and privacy suite of products. And I met him years ago when he was in a different role, when he was responsible for the personal identity theft coverage and the payment fraud products. So he knows this stuff inside and out. He knows the 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 fallout of what happens to individuals, and then he also now unfortunately gets to see the fallout of what happens to these people who have small and medium-sized businesses. So tell us what kind, can you give us some examples of some of the claims you've been seeing? Sure. No, we've, we've definitely seen a lot of claims, and the most common is on the event management side. And, you know, to give you a few examples, um, you know, some of our insureds, uh, hackers you know, recently gained access to the computer systems of you know, 26 hotel locations, and they were able to access the names and credit card numbers of approximately uh, close to half a million individuals. And in that case, we've reimbursed the insured uh, close to a million dollars for uh, crisis management-related expenses. Wow. We've also um, you know, had a case recently where uh, an insured accidentally made um, confidential information regarding students available on its website, and then a parent of one of the affected students filed a lawsuit alleging that you know, our insured uh, violated her child's privacy rights and that the insured was negligent in failing to properly protect the student's privacy. And then on top of that, the Federal Trade Commission uh, launched an investigation to determine if the insured complied with the FTC Act, uh, which prohibits misrepresentations about privacy practices. So in that case, uh, the insured had a $250,000 limit uh, for regulatory action, which was, which was paid out. And, uh, you know, final example, um, you know, we had uh, a client that had a, an email server and an external hard drive containing uh, customer information that was stolen um, while it was in the custody of an outside vendor. And so an employee of that you know, outside vendor has been implicated. And although you know, no lawsuit has yet to be filed, um, you know, we paid out over uh, $3 million in crisis expenses for the legal advice, uh, the public relations, forensics, and the notification costs. Hopefully, there'll be reimbursement from that third-party company, <laughs> the vendor, to pay back so that, that your, uh, your insurance company can get that money back. Wow. So, you know, how affordable really is this for small businesses? I know it's, you know, if you don't get it, this is, you know, the liability is out there. I mean, people buy insurance to protect them from this kind of stuff. You know, I mean, I have life insurance. I have auto insurance. I have homeowner's insurance. I have business insurance. I have all these things. You know, I mean, we buy insurance to protect us from, from this catastrophic expense that could happen to us. But how affordable is it for small businesses that have a lot of data? Well, the pricing has come down you know, over the years. I think when it, when it first came out, it was a fairly expensive product. But you know, over the years, as there's been more competition that's gone in and more people have introduced forms, it's, it's definitely become more affordable for, this, for the small business. And the pricing is really going to depend on a number of things, including you know, the size of the company, uh, the limits and the retentions that are requested, uh, the industry that they're in, and also uh, the security standards that are in place. 
Um, but because the coverage is typically sold by coverage part, you can buy what you need. So if you're not doing a lot of online business, you know, perhaps a company forgoes the network interruption coverage part and, and focuses in on the uh, security privacy liability and the event management. Also, you know, some carriers offer a slimmed-down package of privacy and event management as a separate policy, and, and that can be attractive for insureds with you know, revenues less than $100 million, so that they have some protection in place and can always you know, move up as, as the company grows. Right. So tell us about the pitfalls with this type of insurance and the coverage. Well, you know, because the forms are not standardized, you know, it can be difficult sometimes, uh, you know, comparing coverage between carriers to determine, you know, the differences among forms. But, you know, in general, you know, you want to make sure that there's a concept of, of goodwill notification. So you don't want to have, you know, a breach. And there's a few states where they don't have breach notification laws. You, know, you don't want it to have your insurer denied that's not going to pick up those costs for those particular states. Uh, you know, also, you know, some forms have caveats on when you can offer credit monitoring to customers. So sometimes there will be a stipulation that there has to be fraudulent activity before you can do that. So you want to try to avoid that clause. Uh, and in general, you know, it's best to have options for event management either on a, on a turnkey basis. So you can have a per-person limit and you select services or you have services selected for you by a panel of vendors. Or, you know, you, can, you have the option of doing an aggregate limit basis. So where you can be involved in the service delivery and the vendor selection. Um, you, know, you should also look for you know, coverage for regulatory actions, because that's very common where you have an FTC or an attorney general that will investigate a breach, and you want to have money available to pay for your you know, defense cost and paying to respond. And you also want it to be able to pick up you know, fines and penalties if you end up getting, getting those assessed or insurable by law and to make sure that it also covers the PCI fines and penalties, because regulatory fines and penalties, you know, those are different, whereas PCI are set by Visa MasterCard. So you want to make sure that you have coverage for that. Uh, you, know, you should also make sure you have worldwide coverage, including coverage for, for cyber terrorism, because you know, a number of attacks originate out of you know, Eastern Europe and Asia. And then you know, finally, if you're getting you know, network interruption coverage, uh, you really should look for an expansive definition of security system failure um, because you also want to make sure that you're picking up not only, you know, a hacking attack, uh, but also, you know, those incidents arising from, you know, an accidental uh, security failure or, you know, an unplanned uh, computer outage. Right. You know, it can be so overwhelming for small businesses, and we talked about the fact that small businesses make up most of this country. And, you know, it's so overwhelming to be able to keep up with that. I know in your insurance um, application, I think it even explains, if I remember correctly, like certain things you need to do to be able to get it, or, or there's some kind of prerequisites that make you um, a kind of accountable to yourself. Am I right? Yes, yes, we Why do. Why don't you talk a little bit about those? Because I think those are actually great. Right, and we have services, I guess there are services that can help in the event of a breach and also, you know, uh, prior to actually having, uh, you know, a breach. And, um, you know, whether a company carries insurance or not, you know, the cost of, of dealing with a security breach can vary widely depending upon what vendors are used to, you know, remediate the situation. And, you know, we had insured um, recently that had a breach and obtained quotes from vendors to address the situation. And since we're dealing with this on a consistent basis, you know, we already have arrangements with the vendors to provide services oftentimes at much lower cost than what clients might be able to piece together under you know, the stress of a crisis situation. Right. And in that case, you know, it was a healthcare organization that had 50,000 records stolen, including uh, people's social security numbers, and the breach required you know, both the notification and they wanted to provide two years of credit monitoring because of the severity of the breach. And the vendors, the, the insured assembled, um, they could address the situation with the legal assistance, the notification letters, the call center services, for a total cost of around $900,000. But by accessing uh, preferred vendors, uh, the cost savings were over 50%. So I think you know, working you know, with your carrier for those services, you know, legal assistance, the forensics, the credit monitoring, it's often an overlooked benefit and really can help you know, stretch the money available under the insurance policy. Right. So people, you know, what what we always find out is people don't get insurance until after they have a breach. You know, it's like, oh, okay, I guess I better do this now. 
You know what I mean? They don't they don't recognize the severity of, of what a problem might be until they experience it and then all of a sudden that they get it. But were you saying basically that if you didn't have the insurance, you could still um, contract with Chartist to maybe help uh, get the insurance and then help with the breach? Is that what I understood, or did I misunderstand that? No, I was saying that the, the cost can vary. I mean, what, because whether you have insurance or not, I said the, the cost can vary widely. Right, right. You know, we oftentimes, because we have the expertise, as you know, on the personal ID theft side, we'll often help insureds of ours that have had a breach uh, to access uh, preferred vendors and be able to help them put that together with the call center, the notification letters, and um, it was just an added added benefit that we provide. Right, right. That's good. We also have at the Office of Privacy Protection at uh, privacy.ca.gov, we have some sample uh, breach letters. So if you are a, even if you're not a California business owner, uh, you can look at those. And I think there are some at the FTC as well. But of course, if you go into Chartist, they have some, like I said, Mark has a couple great articles that I saw recently, the Data Security Standards Compliance, which was an article that helps you to understand what's going on in the security issues beyond IT and into the boardroom article. And I know that even in, in your application, you do provide like a li- checklist of things that people should be having before they even get the insurance and to kind of help not only the business to prevent a breach, but also to to help charters to reduce what might be a problem for them, right? Right. I mean, just going through the application process can can help and identify you know, any gaps in, in private security you know, uh, security controls. They can usually be identified. We ask about twenty to twenty five questions, and if those aren't answered satisfactorily, you know, some of the recommendations we provide are valuable, even if the insured you know doesn't purchase the insurance. Right. And, and we also uh, provide um, you know complimentary access to um, a risk management and loss prevention portal. And the portal is typically features you know, information on you know, security and privacy best practices, uh, you know, insights on the legal, uh, the regulatory environment, and also tools to support you know, the breach recovery planning. And that can really help the insured you know, stay up to date on the latest threats. And if they need assistance you know, creating an incident response plan or, or guidance on complying with the red flag rules, there are templates and, and self-help available on the portal. And in most of the portals that are available, uh, through other carriers as well, they, they provide access, you know, to vendors for additional cost, typically at, at reduced cost if an insured needs, you know, additional help in some of these areas. We're speaking with Mark Camillo this morning. He's vice president in the Executive Liability Professional Liability Division of Chartist Insurance, and he's responsible for the technology and security privacy suite of products, which we've been talking about. And prior to that, he was responsible for the personal identity theft coverage and payment fraud products. So he he understands both the personal side of uh, individuals becoming victims of identity theft, and he also understands the business side of trying to protect their customers and clients from becoming victims of identity theft and any of these security breaches, which can expose you to identity theft. So let's let's talk a little bit more about the application process so people don't get so scared when you know, if they were interested and they go to the website, you know, what are they going to have to show? Well, I think the first step is really to talk to your insurance broker about the exposure and, and understanding your risks. You know, a business you know, should know what information their company holds, uh, where it's located, uh, how it's protected. And they also need to analyze the potential impact a breach could have. And then after, and then after kind of going through that initial step, um, you know, the next step would be to complete the application and it, it really has gotten much easier over the years. You know, it used to be that carriers would require kind of a full assessment to be completed. We really had to have you know, full IT expertise um, or even an on-site audit where a team would actually come in and audit your systems. You know, now the underwriting really focuses in on key areas and you know, roughly 20 to 25 questions around security privacy. And in, in some cases, uh, it might even involve you know, a conference call uh, with the carrier's IT specialist, which can also be very, very beneficial um, as well uh, to speak with somebody, again, that, that, that knows the language of your own, you know, your team's uh, you know, data security and can talk through some of these issues on a larger scale. And then from there, once we've got all the application, we've got all the application, all the underwriting criteria, um, you'll get a pricing quote and then, um, you know, can move forward with binding the coverage. 
And and so let me ask you something. Um, is there a possibility that, and I don't know if this is even possible, is, is it a possibility for maybe a conglomeration of, of businesses to work together and get insurance together, or is that something that just really wouldn't work? Well, that's really, that's really highly regulated, and typically uh, there are groups that will get together as either like a risk purchasing group right. or you know, they may set up, they have their own uh, you know, uh, a group that they've, that they've established for, for procuring different insurances, and if there is sort of a vehicle that's already set up uh, for that, you know, we can typically work with the organization uh, to issue them a policy that can, that can then be spread and benefit the different members of that group. Yeah, I'm thinking like an accountant group or a lawyer group or, you know what I'm saying, some professional people that would get together and maybe get it through their uh, CPA association. I just wondered if that kind of thing is possible now, too. Yeah, no, we, and we do. And there, there's, so, so, for example, there are, are groups... Um, that, that have formed in the, in the, for example, with doctors, uh, where they've pooled together to buy uh, their medical malpractice insurance, and we'll work with that group to also issue a, a data security uh, program that would help uh, cover the cost that we discussed, and even would expand to, if there's a security breach, picking up sort of the HIPAA fines and penalties, those regulatory fines and penalties, as well as the PCI fines and penalties, because a lot of doctors and, and dentists now, now take credit cards and they're concerned about that potential exposure if there, if there was a security breach. And, you know, I want to mention this because I think you've, you've mentioned it before about the FTC, which, again, we'll say is the Federal Trade Commission and PCI compliance, which is payment card industry compliance. When, when small businesses hear that, they think, oh, that's not me. That, that has nothing to do with me, and that's wrong. <laughs> you could just be a small family business, and you have a big uh, database that's, available by you know to be hacked and you have an online business and maybe you're only one or two people in your business that doesn't mean that you're not susceptible am i right mark no you're you're absolutely you're absolutely right and i think that you know the first thing that's going to happen when you've had a breach is you're going to have the state breach notification law so you're going to have to notify the affected individuals and that's going to find its way into the press and you're also you know have to notify you know the state attorney general you have to notify uh, the credit reporting agencies and so the word quickly gets out that you've, that you've had a breach. And it's quickly going to make its way you know, to the FTC. And if they find that you, know, you were negligent in terms of the way that you had, you, know, you were just using default uh, you know, systems, uh, settings, and passwords, um, that you weren't using you know, basic firewall, that you weren't using basic you know, antivirus software, uh, you know, they can assess fines and penalties based on that. And even it can be very expensive if they don't assess the fines and penalties, just responding uh, you know, to their inquiry, and, and you're, you're typically not going to want to do that alone. You're going to want to have, uh, you know, legal counsel and sort of responding, you know, back to their inquiries. Yeah, it's it's very scary. So have you seen an increase in the number of companies that are buying this kind of insurance? We have. It's definitely, I think, one of the, one of the growing areas, uh, you know, for, in, in general, the insurance uh, industry. And I think it's an area that's going to continue to grow as you see, you know, more of the high-profile cases in the news. Um, unfortunately, you know, identity theft in general is not decreasing. And because it's, it's expensive for you know, consumers, it's expensive for businesses, and there's not a really quick fix you know, to the problem as you know, stealing, selling, and you know, using this information is very lucrative for the bad guys. So I think you know, demand for security privacy is only going to increase because, you know, as we've talked about, you know, hackers are getting smarter uh, you know, the number of data breaches and their costs are, are, are skyrocketing. And, you know, at the end of the day, traditional insurance just does not you know, address these risks. Right. It's a brave new world. It's kind of scary, but we're just about out of time. So why don't you give your website, Mark, and, um, and then we will have to have you back. And maybe you can uh, give the portal where people can get in and, and uh, see how they could even get that insurance. That's great. No, if, if, you, if you go to uh, www.chartisinsurance, C-H-A-R-T-I-S-I-N-S-U-R-A-N-C-E.com, uh, and you look for either specialty risk protector or identity theft or corporate identity protection, uh, you'll, be, you'll get a list of all of our relevant products. And as you mentioned, Marty, uh, Marty there's, um, there's some great articles that are also available. We have webcasts if you're interested in learning more about the coverage that we have available on there as well. And once you become an insured, um, we do give you access to uh, the e-risk portal where you can download even, even some more uh, great tools. 
Well, you are terrific. We sure appreciate all your knowledge and your expertise and your willingness to share with us, Mark. You're wonderful. And we will have you back again, especially when you tell us about that identity theft insurance for for businesses, too. So we can talk about that later. Yeah, that's great. We'll have to, we'll have to work with you on that one. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and we will have you back again. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been okay. Great talk to you soon. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. right here on KUCI. Also, visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy where you can see our upcoming guests. We have their pictures. We have their bios. We have their websites. Also, you can download our podcast right there. And you can listen to archived interviews. And we've had this show now since 2005. So we have lots there for you. Also, please send us emails about what's important to you or what you're worried about for privacy in the information age. Thank you so much and join us next week. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs right here on KUCI, 88.9 FM in Irvine, and KUCI.org on the net. I'm also pleased to present and welcome back Janelle Lasky, who is a crime analyst within the STAR unit of the Orange County Sheriff's Department, and she's been with the department for two and a half years. Thanks for joining us again, Janelle. Thank you, Mari. Thank you for having me on. Well, last week we talked about the STAR unit, so for those people who didn't hear us, will you please explain the acronym and also tell us about how this unit was formed? Sure. The STAR unit stands for S, statistical, T for tracking, and R for reporting. And how and when our uh, unit was formed, back in um, November of 2005, we formed the Crime Analysis Unit, and in March of 2009, we actually became the STAR Unit, and we merged into the new SAFE Division, which stands for Strategy, Accountability, Focus, and Evaluation. In 2005 is when everything began for the Crime Analysis Unit. Our administration helped support and develop our Crime Analysis Unit after seeing that we had a need to implement an analytical unit within the Sheriff's Department. Several department members, including people from administration, investigations, and computer systems, all played a vital role in the initial development of the unit. This committee traveled to various law enforcement agencies uh, around the county and surrounding counties to see what other analytical units did on a daily basis. This STAR unit is uh, unique for the Sheriff's Department because we have five crime analysts that assist with patrol, investigation, and administration, uh, administrative products. Each analyst is cross-trained, uh, cross-trained in all support areas. Uh, the analysts at the Orange County Sheriff's Department uh, assist in all types of investigations and are all responsible for specific patrol areas. So can you tell us a couple stories yes. about what you guys have done? Sure. Uh, Since 2005, as our unit gets older, uh, of course, our success rate increases, and we're able to see suspects go to trial and become convicted for crimes we assisted investigators with. And one example that stands in mind is in December of 2006, there was a series of vehicle burglaries occurring in Mission Viejo. We assisted our special enforcement team with an analysis of all the burglaries that had occurred. Based on the dates, times, and method of operation of the previous incidents, we were able to provide a specific time frame and a day of week the burglaries would most likely occur. The special enforcement team then was deployed and conducted surveillance in the target area during the time frame we provided. On the first night of surveillance, the team was uh, able to apprehend one suspect committing vehicle burglaries. And in turn, investigators were able to charge the suspect with 12 counts of burglary and clear eight more cases by the uh, method of operation. Wow, that is terrific. Anything else? Uh, There are a lot of stories, but that one's a a good one and a very successful one. So (laughs) I'll just leave it at that. Well, I think it's terrific that you're able to use the technology and 
see the trends and the patterns and put it together and make and work as a team with the guys who are out there on the streets to make it work for them. So you are terrific. Why don't you just give your website and we will have you back next year. Our website is ocsd.org. And if you click on uh, divisions, then choose the safe division option from the drop down menu. You'll be able to read all about crime analysis. Well, thank you so much, Janelle. You are terrific. Janelle Lasky, will you just come back another time. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Mari. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.